0: Welcome to Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw. That would be the legendary Gerald Briscoe, the (laughs) Hall of Famer, Mr. Oklahoma himself. He says, I'll make you tap and make you tap like you mean it. 22 years in WWE. From Hulk Hogan to The Rock to Stone Cold to John Cena, Roman Reigns, Edge, Undertaker, he's seen it all, written a book about it, free Count, My Life in Stripes as a WWE referee. He's also my golf buddy, and we played a miniature golf championship, world championship on a couple of Monday nights, uh-huh. Mr. Jim Corderas. Jimmy, thanks for coming on the
1: show. No, thank you. This is awesome. I, I get to see you. I get to see Mr. B again, which... Uh, uh, Instead of hearing them all day long in my IFB, this is awesome.
2: <laughs> Jimmy, great pleasure having you. You served as a referee there, a historic referee there for WWE for over 20 years. And, man, you've seen it all. You're you you you're like John and I. As Sputton, Monroe, my old pal, you say, you're like Coca-Cola, man. You've been everywhere. So, uh well, what a life you've lived, and, uh, you know, you cultivated it with your book, and there's going to be hopefully more books to come down the line because it's very entertaining. We can't thank you enough for being here on on our little story with uh Briscoe and Bradshaw today. Oh, thank you.
1: Oh, I appreciate it, and I hate to sound very cliche here, but, man, I've been blessed. I mean, like you said, I've got to see from from the beginning, from the rock and wrestling connection, you know, with the Hulk Hogan era or all the way through the – uh the Ruthless Aggression Attitude Era, all the different changes. And I, I got to experience all that. And I got to experience a whole bunch of stuff outside the ring with both of you. Uh, like John was saying earlier with the golf and all the other stuff, that uh, shenanigans that went on. Man, I had a blast. And, you know, you people start talking about the travel schedule in the WWE, especially back in the day. It was a little hectic. But when you got a group of people you truly enjoy being with, it's not that bad trust me it's a lot of fun
2: it was a brutal schedule it was a brutal schedule back in those days jimmy you know you you've been in the ring with some historic guys but also some historic guys helped you get you in the business you want to kind of walk us through that process how you became a wwe referee i know i've read that uh uh red bass scene was one of your mentors along mm-hmm. with uh jack and jack and the Tony brothers up mm-hmm. in Toronto. there so was you a wrestling fan growing up
1: and and this is what you wanted to be? Or did you just kind of go a, a different route? It? Well, I, as a kid, especially growing up here in Toronto, we were so blessed to get so much wrestling on television. And this was back in the territory days. I mean, we used to get Maple Leaf Wrestling was the Tunnies territory. And that used to be on every Saturday at noon. And I used to tune into that all the time. But from the Buffalo affiliate channels, we'd get Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Then we'd get... Uh, on another station, Calgary Stampede Wrestling. And then we'd get uh, uh, Vancouver's All-Star Wrestling, stuff from Winnipeg, AWA from Winnipeg, stuff from Montreal. It was so much wrestling on television. I loved it. And when I got old enough to go down on my own, like able to drive down to Maple Leaf Gardens, which ran every three weeks, one of my hobbies was taking pictures. I was I love taking pictures with my camera. So I managed to talk to Norm Kimber, who was Jack Tunney's uh, right hand, and man, and ring announcer at the time, uh, and I scored what I guess the equivalent of seasons tickets. And Maple Leaf Gardens had that ramp that went from the dressing room to okay. the ring, and I was right beside that second row. So I would sit there and take pictures all day long, and I would come to the next show and sell them, you know, to kind of fuel my wrestling habit because I, obviously I wasn't making a lot of money back then. And then I got caught by someone who worked for Jack and said, <laughs> uh, "You can't." do that and I said why who are you and he told me who he was and I went uh oh <laughs> <laughs> he said I, you know you seem like a good guy just don't do it right in front of Maple Leaf Gardens just go down a little bit down the block and, and sell them there and his name was Elio Zarlanga and we became friends and he says you know what I'll introduce you to Jack and maybe we can get you to do photography for the program here and stuff like that I said oh wow that's cool So I met Jack. Jack was very nice and said, you know what? We don't need another photographer, but we'll find something for the kid to do. So I became the guy that did all the odd jobs, whatever needed to be done. You know, like I'd be show day at Maple Leaf Gardens and Jack would hand me the keys to his uh, Fleetwood Cadillac. He had this 84 big blue Fleetwood Cadillac, you know, with the fins and all that. And he'd hand me, "Okay, go up to the airport and pick up Andre the Giant and uh, Timmy White uh, at the Marriott. I'd be like. And I'm trying to be cool at the same time, like yes, sir. And, but inside, I'm going oh, <laughs> pick up, Andre the Giant. Oh my goodness, you know. So it started like that. Like I, I, I had no visions of being a referee or anything like that. Obviously, you know, as a wrestling fan, you back in the day, you think maybe one day I could do this, you know. But it wasn't like this is what my dream is to become a wrestler. I just wanted to be involved in it some capacity.
0: Yeah, and, and Jack Tony, for those that are listening and don't know, he was the, the working president of WWE and he was the shoot promoter in, in Toronto. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He him, he took over from his uncle Frank uh when, when Frank passed away. And uh so I started escorting Jack had eye trouble and had surgery done. So when he would when TV was close enough and he had to do his, his working appearances as president of, of WWF at the time, uh he would drive. So, you know, he asked me, he says, listen, we're doing television in uh, Rochester, New York. There's, can you drive us there and I'll take care of you all the I said, cool. So I drove him and Billy Red Lions to the TVs and stuff like that. And I got to know Pat Patterson very well. And, and, you know, after about a year or so of doing all these odd chores and stuff like that and being at the Brantford TV tapings, you remember those, Mr. B.? yes yeah, sir yeah the day after toronto every third monday the day after toronto they would do wrestling challenge tapings three weeks worth at the brantford civic center and i would drive you know talent there and back and so forth myself and elio and then pat i'm driving. i'm with pat one day and he's talking to jack and jack uh pat says to jack he says jack you know we got the kid here i can't do the french accent so we got the kid here <laughs> You're he's the only the-
2: one that don't try it. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's right. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, everybody in the world thinks they can take
1: that. That yeah. don't I, matter. Yeah. You know uh, who
0: asks about you? Nobody. 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 Yes. <laughs>
1: yeah, they'll go banana. <laughs> 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 so, so he says to Jack one day. He says, Jack, you know we got the kid here. He's all, you know, he does all this all stuff for us. And during the show, he's just waiting around for everything to happen. Why don't we use him? Maybe we can make him a referee or something. And Jack says, do we want to smarten the kid up? And, you know, I'll try the Pat accent. And Pat goes, but Jack, the kid is in the locker room with the boy. He know what's going on, you know, and stuff like that. He says, see, he has an idea. He says, okay. So Pat says to me, get yourself black sneakers, black pants, a blue shirt, and a black bow tie. Carry it with you at all times. All right. Yes, sir. I'm going out so i went and got all that stuff but i didn't know enough to ask questions the the goofy bow ties yes
0: yeah Yeah. Yeah. those were horrible no horrible
1: and you'd have to try and do it you wanted it to look like it's in place but at the same time you don't want it too tight because you know you don't want to get strangled but at this point i didn't care what i looked like i thought this is my end but i didn't know enough to ask questions to go to the other refs and say hey how do I do this? What do I do? What's it all about? You know what I mean? So one day we're at a, a house show here in Newmarket, Ontario, and Chief Jay Strongbow uh, just walks up. He goes, Hey, Jimmy Jan, you got your ref gear with you. And I said, yes, sir, chief. He says, put it on You're refing tonight. And I didn't want to say, well, I've never refed before. I don't know what I'm doing. I said, yes, sir. He says, you're refereeing SD Jones versus the red demon who was Jose Luis Rivera and it says get with them they'll tell you what they need to do. And th- thankfully I knew SD well and I went to SD and I said, "Hey SD, I'm refereeing your match tonight." He goes, "Oh, awesome." I said, "I've never ref before." He says, "Listen to me, I'll talk you through it." And he got me through the match and that's when I realized, "Okay, I got to start talking to people to <laughs> learn how to do, it. like ask the other refs, ask the ask the boys, what do you need me to do? How do you want me to react to this and that kind of stuff." And that's that was my first job refereeing was in you know an impromptu situation like that.
0: You know, people don't realize how hard it is to referee. And I know Gary's refereed probably hundreds of matches. I've refereed tens, if not more than a hundred matches myself. But the first time you do it, you realize you don't know what you're doing. And we were wrestlers. We had actually been in the ring wrestling. And I remember the first time I was wrestling, I I asked uh, Skandor Ackbar, I said, the heck do I do? And he goes, go opposite the boys. Just walk opposite the boys.
1: Uh (laughs) And, And, And stay out of the way yeah of have all the
2: jobs i've all the jobs i've ever done in the wrestling business and i've done all of i i hated refereeing worse than you know because you're putting in a position where you're not gonna win nothing i mean there are gonna be people hollering at you one way or another you got to have mighty thick skin jimmy to do it as many years as you did and do it as well as you did so i've always admired them because i've i put on those stripes a few times and uh Man, it's a hard ass job, I and mean, it was my least favorite job. I'd rather set up the ring than go out and referee a match.
1: <laughs> well, for a long time there, I did both, which was, yeah. uh, you know, so which is fine, man. Again, when, I don't know who said it, but when when you love your job, it's not work. You know what I mean? And 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 I, I, other than Chimmel, I was blessed to be around some great people. <laughs> oh.
0: Hire, hiring Chimmel was like losing five good men at the WWE.
1: And that's being polite. <laughs>
0: that's being very polite. And that was yes.
1: all in his body. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I kid Chimmel a lot, but, you know, he was my riding partner for a long time. Imagine that. You talk about thick skin, Mr. B. Uh, riding with him that many years, I yeah. feel like I could take a bullet. Yeah, No problem. It's like wearing he, a bullet He wished that Chimmel
2: would take a bullet.
1: Uh, you would you would
2: I, pull Jimmy? Uh, you would pull Tony in front of us. What you what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: There you go. Or hide, just dive behind him. It's okay. Yeah. There's, oh, there's
0: a lot I was going to visit some charity one time, and I'm sending uh, Chimbol texts at the same time. And by mistake, I had sent the head of the charity that I hope you fall into a volcano and burn alive. <laughs> <laughs> And I realized I sent it to the guy that runs a charity instead of Chimel. And so I, I called him. I said, Hey, he goes, we all got friends like that. He goes, don't worry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tremendous. I know he's, I know he's down in Florida now. And, and, and I, and I messaged him one t- uh, a little while back and just said, uh, what are you doing? He says, just enjoying time here and hitting the beach. I said, do they push you back in the water screaming, let him live. Anything <laughs> like that. And he just, he got hot. Didn't message me back.
2: Uh, Jimmy I got so much heat when he moved to Florida everybody here in Florida blamed it on me because I you know he used to take vacations I said uh Tony you know down down Fort Myers area there's this little place a little little 70s retro cafe down there pretty famous and so he started going there him and his wife fell in love with the place and fell in love with the beaches down there and when he moved down here Everybody that lived here wanted wanted to blame it on me. What What did you do to our state? Now we got Tony Jim living
1: here. Could well it could be worse for us if he'd have moved to Canada. I would have. uh, Anyways, I don't even want to go there. (laughs) <laughs> and there are
2: thousands of people out there that don't know who, who the hell we're talking about. Tony Chimel. Tony Chimel was a guy that stood in the ring and mm-hmm. he worse His English is worse than mine. <laughs> if you can imagine. And he, and he, he took Howard Finkel's place or I worked with Howard Finkel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, uh, he, 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 uh, he butchered most of the names that he announced and everything. But, um, like I said, his English is worse than mine, but, uh, but what a fun guy to be around. You must have had yeah. a blast traveling with him. There's got to be a great Tony Schimmel story out there somewhere.
1: Oh, my goodness. It, it, there's Where do I begin? I mean, like I said, we were riding <laughs> partners for so long, and we were both on the ring crew as well. So, you know, we were there early, setting up and the whole bit. So I had to spend time with him there, and you're with him all day during show day, and, of course, uh, tear down afterwards and driving. And the the rest of the car it changed over the years for a while. there, Kyoto was a, was, it was a third wheel who like five minutes into the trip, Kyoto would be in the back seat like this. Yeah. And you know, which Tony and I'd be talking and we'd look back and go, what do you think of that Kyoto? You know, nothing. There was nothing. Then Larry became the regular partner. And I remember one trip where it was Larry the heck st- the trainer, the trainer. Yes. Uh, Larry's an awesome guy. Uh, I could, great guy. I, yeah. So uh, it was one trip after TV. It was my son- and I always wanted to drive because I- I'm a horrible passenger. I can't just sit there and look out the window and blah. I, I want to be busy. It keeps me awake too. Driving keeps me awake, especially those long drives. And you also get control of the radio. The guy driving got to choose. That's what right. Listen to it. That's,
0: that's the rules of the car.
1: Uh, that's the rules of the road. Yes. Yep. Exactly. So I had to be behind the wheel, and uh, we had Larry Heck, the trainer, in the back seat, and on this trip, Hornswoggle joined us. So we pile into the car. You've got
0: Schimmel and Hornswoggle in the same car.
1: Yeah. So we had three and a half people in the car. <laughs> and and we we all flew into St. Louis. We were driving, I want to say to Cape Girardeau. And and we all met there. We got the car at the at the rental car place. We start driving. We're not even a half hour into the drive and all of us, and it's freezing. It's, it was in the winter. Boom. The rear driver's side tire goes out. And we've got like a trunk full of stuff and it's overflowed into carrying stuff into the back seat. So now we I pull over to the side of the road and we said, okay, if we all get through this, because Larry called the rental place and they said it'd be at least a half hour before somebody shows up. And we're like, uh-uh, no, we'll change the tire, we'll go back, whatever. So Larry and I are unloading the trunk. Larry and I are unloading the trunk and you know, trying to get to the spare tire and jacking the car up and putting the spare tire on. Hornswoggle's on the side of the highway looking for every truck that goes by going, you know, trying to get him to blow the horn. Chimel's on his cell phone, and then he's over with Hornswoggle, and both of them are there on the high, side of the highway going like this. And I'm like, okay, guys, we got this. And then they, they look over and they go, good. That's when I wanted to push him in front of the next truck that was coming by because I'm like, but I didn't want to damage the truck because then I'd get in trouble for that. So, but uh, that's the kind of guy he was. You know, you're waiting for something. and. Very helpful guy, all the very time. helpful guy.
0: <laughs> remember, Chimel, remember Chimel every they, they had the fat loss contest. Remember that? Yeah. So all the guys backstage would go to a fat loss contest, like <gasps> at the beginning of the year or something. They have a certain right, time huh? of year. Chimmel won it every year because he would he would literally would put on weight all year long and then diet like crazy. And he would put on weight for the contest to lose. So he'd win like 50 bucks for the fat loss contest.
1: See, that's where he fooled everybody. You thought Thought he put that weight on for the contest. It was just, it just came natural to him. He just wanted to. <laughs> I a natural weight gainer. <laughs> yes.
2: Jimmy, you brought up something that, uh, that a lot of our, our, our listeners out there aren't, aren't really familiar with, and that's the the work schedule that a referee had, most referees had, and a lot of the ring announcers had also. I mean, mm-hmm. your job yeah. wasn't just to show up at the arena and and go into the ring when they're, and in their striped or your tuxedo. You guys had a full day not only did you have a full day, you usually drove all damn night along too. so you guys were operating on four to six hours sleep just about every damn night that you were you were in a ring doing the best job of anybody in the country.
1: yeah, it, like I said, it was a tough schedule but uh, you know again love doing it but yeah. it was different um, once they've got the ring trucks where they actually were on a on the back of a transport, made things a little easier because before that, what people don't know is we used to drive the ring truck as well as driving, you know, to each town. So we'd have to transport that ring to each town and then set it up. You know, obviously you're the first ones there, the last ones to leave the whole bit like that. And you're working the show as well. So it wasn't like, okay, shows on, they're going to go about two and a half hours. I can take a little nap. No, no, no. no. But again, I loved it. I, I don't know how to explain it. You know, and I felt, like I said, I felt sorry for my wife. Because the schedule, especially uh, – I'll give it to you during the brand split when, it first, when it's first split to SmackDown and Raw being separate rosters and, and we were brand specific at the time. Uh, the SmackDown schedule would start on a Saturday, but we would fly out Friday, the day before to make sure we got there so we can get there and, and set everything up uh, early and stuff like that. So we would leave on a Friday, usually in the afternoon, sometimes in the evening. Uh, we'd have a show, a house show Saturday, house show Sunday. Um, usually a house show Monday, unless it was an off day, and we'd hit the golf course or something like that. Um, and then Tuesday we did TV Smackdown. Then you'd fly home Wednesday morning, first thing Wednesday morning, and then you're home for half of Wednesday, all day Thursday, and then someday Friday you're flying back out again. So you're only home really day and a half, two days a yeah. week. So uh, people think hard on us, harder on your loved ones. But Proof. you know, like I said, I kicked my coverage, so I got very fortunate with. Uh, yeah.
0: Or, or if you're Chimmel's wife, you're, you're happy.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> if you're Chimmel's wife, you're hoping that the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday also are on the road.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: right. Not, not only as the
2: travel brutal, but you know. During the course of of the of, of when the show starts, you know, people think you go out and you referee your one match. But you guys had to be on standby if Big Show or Yokozuna or hit the ropes and or JBL big ass Ooh. hit the ropes and they'd bust <laughs> open, they bust, they break. All right, Jimmy, get get out there and get the ropes in. So you guys, while mm-hmm. the other guys were backstage, you know, trying to figure out what the next match was and what to do, you guys had the responsibility to getting with your talent, getting the finish down. And not mm-hmm. only that, but been on a headset, ready if something happened at ringside where you had to go out and and, and do an emergency mm-hmm. repair. So you guys, you guys' time were occupied. That's the reason mm-hmm. I, I grew to respect all of our referees so much uh, at uh, at the company and uh, and the work that you guys did. I mean, it, it was just mm-hmm. brutal. But you know, it all boils down, just like you said earlier: the love of the business and a passion we all had for the business it's not work i mean it was i mean you're exhausted at the end of it but you know you're ready
1: no it, it, you're always on standby especially in that position and you know of course we're we're, we're wired in so it's kind of hard you can't hide it's not like it's not like a oh uh i you remember back mr b uh, guys uh, the 2005 royal rumble with the kind of botched finish between john cena and and batista
2: yeah oh yeah Yeah. okay
1: here here's an example so so charles and i are representing the smackdown side and i think it's jack doan and chad are on the raw referees out there for the rumble they go into the finish the finish uh edge was the third last guy out and then it left john and and dave as the last two guys in so the finish was they both go over the top dave hooks the top rope john hits the floor winner of the Royal Rumble going on to challenge at WrestleMania, Dave Batista. Unfortunately, they both went over. Dave went to hook, missed. They both land on the floor and all four of us went. And then you, Mr. Briscoe, yell, one of the Raw refs go over there uh, and raise Dave's hand because that was the finish. So, you know, Jack went over there, raised his hand or Chad, whoever. But then I guess they they saw it on replay and you couldn't have, planned it any better they landed at exactly Exactly. the same time on the floor so then you said one of the Smackdown refs go over there and raise John's hand and so we run over there and we're doing the battle back and forth he won no he won he won while this is going on you're screaming and the other refs go find Eric Bischoff and Teddy Long who are the respective general managers Eric for Raw and Teddy for Smackdown so we're hearing this in our earpiece where are they somebody look for them Apparently. I, I, as legend would have it, they decided to depart early. (laughs) (laughs) So all of a sudden, while we're doing our, he won, he won, he won. Here comes uh, Mr. McMahon. The chairman of the board. (laughs) Storming out from Gorilla. And when we look down, I mean, okay. He took off his red red
2: face and everything. Red face from chewing my ass out in the back there. So he had to go out and solve the problem. (laughs) So here
1: he comes. He comes storming and he takes off his blazer and he throws it down. And, you know, you can tell the difference between Mr. McMahon angry. And Vincent Kennedy McMahon angry, and, like, and he's mad.
2: That, he's pissed he, off at this time, <laughs> madder than a hornet. Like he, so he comes hey, hey, down.
0: Gary, wait a minute. Is he mad because Bischoff and Long are gone? Teddy are gone, or is he mad because the finish didn't go as planned?
2: Everything. <laughs> And everything was my fault because Bruce wasn't <laughs> standing there. So it was, everything was my fault. <laughs> Damn you, Bruce, printing up my ass here down again. But yeah, he was mad at there. Where the hell, where, Briscoe? You can't let these guys leave. I mean, I, I mean, but uh, he uh, fucking like,
0: like you sitting there with your stopwatch talking to the refs, you told them they could leave.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, and I'll do it myself, man. And he hits that that curtain. And when he come through the camera, he was blood-ass red, wasn't he, Jimmy? By the time I got down there, he he just didn't have his wits about him for one time. And he slid in there and take over, Jimmy.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Here he comes. He dives under the bottom rope. He goes to stand up. And here he goes down. And he's sitting on his butt, (laughs) leaning against the ropes. And we're all stunned. And I I still bug Chad to this day saying, you let Mr. McMahon fall. Uh, Because he was the one closest to him and backed up when he saw him going down. So we're all wondering, what the heck is going on here? What's it going? And he's going, come here, you know, like in in Vincent. And he basically telling us restart the match and they'll redo the finish, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But we didn't know at the time that he had torn both quads. We were just wondering why he was sitting there not getting up. It didn't, you know, it didn't put two and two together. And then he, he, he after he did his deal and finished chewing everybody out, he rolls out of the ring, and everybody went to go help him, and he says, get away from me. And he made it to the back by himself. He would refuse help. So here's a man with two torn quads, refu- getting back there by himself, and I don't know what happened when he got back there, but I was afraid oh, to go back there. <laughs> yeah, you should have been. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But uh, – that, you know, people talk about how tough Vince is. My goodness, I can't imagine having two torn quads and refusing help and making it back there on his own. Amazing.
0: Yeah, people talk about the stories, the urban legends. The truth about him is far exceeds any urban legend there is, and he is a once a lifetime individual.
1: Yeah, and 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 I always used to get nervous because when I'd come back from a match, and you come back to Gorilla, you never wanted to get that. <laughs> <laughs> for mr mcmahon you i'd know, always
2: i'd always try to give you the eyeball first you know mm-hmm. like keep walking or <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Don't, go. don't
2: let him see
1: don't let him see you don't yeah let go, keep, go. keep going keep going yeah. <laughs> mr mr briscoe was a big help back in the day even during stuff with uh we oh had a goodness. lot of fun. We had a lot oh. of fun, Jimmy. There you you I think you always
2: won that won the contest too on 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 uh on handsprings and, and the flips on, oh. on counting the wrestlers down until we got busted on that.
1: Oh yeah. I mean uh we used to do dark matches before television and before everybody got up to Gorilla, including Mr. McMahon, because they were busy finishing up with what they needed to for the show. So, you know, right in the middle of the, ma- I remember the first time it happened too. right in the middle of a match, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we get our instruction. Okay. Tell them six minutes left, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, when they do the finish, do a cartwheel into the finish. And you'd be like, pardon me, like <laughs> what cartwheel into the finish. So, you know, they do the finish and be- instead of sliding down like normal, you would do a cartwheel <laughs> land one, two, three, there you go. Uh, so it became a bit of a contest amongst the refs now, who can do the best cartwheel in a dark match. Jack was pretty good. I got to give it to him. Jack was pretty good, but uh, Jack don't all...
2: suck at the cartwheel,
1: or was it was it uh the other one? Uh, oh, Chad. Uh, Chad yeah, yeah. Chad? Oh, Chad. Nah. Chad, the one I'm sucked at doing cartwheel.
2: So I've had what, him. What ended the cartwheels? Something.
1: Oh, uh, as as legend would have it, um apparently. Vince caught wind of these cartwheels happening and he blew a gasket. What are my referees doing? in the? Wait, what wait is
0: it's not like you catch wind of it. There's monitors all backstage.
1: Oh yeah. Everywhere. If you're, if you're uh, John, you busted. know,
2: Vince, Vince is in, I mean, he's leaning right into whoever he's talking to. He's not watching TV at that time. They're dark matches. Unless, you know, we tell him, Hey Vince, watch this dark match. We got something special. With this guy, we want you to mm-hmm. take a look at then he'll watch, but, you, 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 have been in that, but he, he's giving you, he's giving you a final match instruction. So he's right in your face, giving you, so he didn't know, but I don't even think Kevin realized what we were doing for a long period of time. But we started having so much fun doing it. Of course, then the word started getting out. Hey, watch the referee there, you know, and whatnot. Of course, I went overboard to have them do you know, a flip of a, a cartwheel and count and all that so uh, did start adding stuff on and and we got busted as usual somebody stewed us off i think it was Bruce Pritchard students. all <laughs> <yeah. laughs> and uh, I got my ass chewed and I took all the for the for the referees I said the referees had nothing to do with it I told them they had to do it so I mm-hmm. I took the heat on that and, uh, but well, I, I still think it was Bruce that stood just off either Bruce or that damn PS my Michael Hayes. What are you doing? This supposed to be serious <laughs> shit coming from Michael
0: Hayes, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Names, baby pack and his purple hat. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. Right, Names. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, Jimmy, you you were in the ring for you and you were the few people that's been in the ring with all of the greats from Hulkamania oh. to Roman Reigns. So you had uh Hulk, you had Warrior, you had, uh, Steve, Rock, oh uh taker sean edge cena all these guys mm-hmm. okay i'm gonna put you on the spot <laughs> list the top three in order because you heard the pops oh, you, heard the, you heard the pops of hogan you're the pops of stone cold i was there for those man that mm-hmm. was same same with the rock and everybody you're there the one one through three for, give, me a, if, give me the top three
1: if you're talking
0: specifically pops well, pops, being over, you know, just kind of whole whole reaction when they walk out. Uh, Damn,
1: Layfield, that's that, a hard-ass that's question. A hard... I'm trying. I'm trying to piece mine together. I <laughs> know. Uh, can it? Can it be like a three A and a three B? And- of course <laughs> it can. Of course it uh, can. Because um, I'm an Undertaker guy. I love the Dead Man, and not only personally because he was our locker room leader, and not that he chose to be; he was chosen to be. That's everybody. And not only that, he was that character was over huge. And when he became a babyface, when he turned into babyface Undertaker, people forget how how much of a pop he used to get. When you hear that gong, the place would just go oh yeah banana. Uh, but oh, man, Stone Cold obviously because the glass breaking. Uh, do you smell what The Rock is cooking, Hogan? I'm gonna I'm gonna put four of uh, those four. Okay. It's gonna be in no particular order.
0: Oh, come
1: on. Oh, oh <laughs> man. Because you got to, I can't forget that WrestleMania 18 moment when Rock and Hogan were standing in the ring.
0: Oh, man. <laughs> yeah.
1: That was awesome. You know, people talk yeah. about greatest pops of all time. That was insane because it was in a dome stadium where a lot of the sound gets lost in a dome stadium, but it sounded like you were in a TV studio It was so loud. It was incredible. And, you know, and the and the dome stadium in Toronto has a retractable roof. I thought they were going to blow that roof right off. I'm surprised it didn't.
0: And one thing cool about that, WrestleMania 18, was Rock knew enough not to turn heel because mm-hmm. the crowd in Toronto was taking him as a heel. They were, they were taking Hogan as a babyface, but Rock knew it was a global audience. You know, because the inclination, if, if you're green or if you're a little bit inexperienced, is go with it and turn heel. Rock stayed a babyface because of the global It was really, that was really smart to, of The Rock.
1: And also knew enough not to rush the moment. He let it breathe. He let it marinate. And you can see it building and hear it building. You know, I snuck out into the crowd around the side of the stage. And I I wanted to, like, yeah, like you said, there's monitors all over the back where you can watch this thing. But be out there and and feel it. Uh, I've never felt anything like that. And then, you know,
2: and, and and Hogan too. I mean, uh, he could have pushed the button and, and gone, you know, a little overboard too. But both of them were were such great professionals that they both know how to handle the situation. And that's a situation that that you can't rehearse, that that you can't anticipate. I mean. There was anticipation, okay, who are they gonna take? They're gonna take Rail Rock as a baby, or they're gonna take Terry as a baby, you know. And uh, but the anticipation, you don't know until you really get out there amongst that 70,000 people. And they let us know that night, and and both of those guys and did their did the role and, and and did it to perfection. But uh they they had a great leader in there standing in a third person in the ring there. With Jimmy you had you had the best best spot in the house for a lot of events, like John said. And you know, and mm-hmm. that was one of them. I don't know if you were in the ring that night. That's... I think it was Montreal when Hogan first come back. And the applause, oh. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it lasted almost 15 minutes. Well, nearly had to go off the air, <laughs> you know, just waiting for the
1: applause to die down to a level that the announcers could talk. Yeah, I could I almost forgot about that. That was that was um i don't remember what year it was but it was insane you're right and again it's what people forget sometimes fans at least that watch this and and maybe even some of the young wrestlers forget is it was something that rip rogers said a long time ago that that always sat with me and i think it was rip but he said that in the wrestling business we don't sell motion we sell emotion and that's what that's what these guys understood is they're getting the emotion out of the crowd and 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 you can do a twisting, burning 450 hammer Phoenix splash and get everybody to go, Oh, <clears throat> but to get them to react like that, to get them to cheer for 15 solid minutes mm-hmm. where you can't even get a word out edgewise, because every time you put the mic to your, they just explode again. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That, that's special.
0: Jimmy, how would you compare, say the crews? Uh, you had, I mean, some, in my mind, maybe the greatest, uh, talent roster of all time during the attitude era, um, mm-hmm perhaps, you know, compare that to the Hulk COVID era, but you were there for both. How would you compare the crews? Not just as far as, hey, this this crew is more talented, but as far as the boys themselves, about the experience, you had some wild, wild guys that were there in 87 when you came in.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, you, you, you look at the roster, you had guys like Paul Orndorff. You had guys like Don Morocco. You had guys like this who accidentally uh, – I think it was accidentally uh, – Urinated on my foot one time, but anyways, I don't want (laughs) to. I don't want to throw him under the bus that bad. But okay, here we go. Uh, It was yeah. If I'm not mistaken, it was after Survivor Series '87 because I was fortunate enough to be a part of the first Survivor Series. So we're in the bar at the hotel in Cleveland, and I'm leaning against the bar, and I'm just having having a nice beer and enjoying myself. And here comes a bunch of guys coming in, and they mosey over to the bar, and I get bumped a little bit by by don you know a little bit it's okay no big deal i'm not what am i gonna do it's not morocco it's not like i'm gonna say hey buddy you know? <laughs> so i'm having my beer and all of a sudden i'm like what the hell is going on in my I, he had he kind of like kayfabed his his blazer a little bit and under the bar i and he just went <laughs> he, and so i'm Tom, like you gotta go and it's like, my foot is like getting, so, and I go, wah, and I pull my foot out. Now I'm thinking, what do I do? So I went to the bathroom. I took my foot, my shoe off, my sock, and I'm thinking, and my pant leg is obviously. Uh, uh, so I ended up wearing my ref sneakers the rest of the trip because I didn't bring an extra <laughs> pair of shoes, but uh, threw out my sneakers, threw out my socks. So out, in Morocco? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Dutch
0: So um, I one time dropped off Michael Hayes at a hotel. It's like one o'clock in the morning and I hear a knock on the window and I know what's, I know what's coming. because You know, guys don't have said that that used to happen quite frequently. It sounds disgusting. It is disgusting. You, you do it today. You get sued. You get fired over there. Back then it was commonplace. So I've got the keys to the car Dutch is right next to me and I've rolled down the window and I know what's coming and I dropped the keys on purpose Michael Hayes turns and starts peeing all over Dutch the past. <laughs> and Dutch is sitting there. And Dutch is going, oh, God, oh, God!" He's going, get the keys, get the keys. Well, I'm fumbling like I can't get the keys. And, and Michael's just going to the bathroom in our car on Dutch. <laughs> and half of it's going on me, but it's so funny when Dutch tells it. Dutch's going, I'm gonna kill him, I'm gonna kill him. <laughs>
2: dusty yeah. Rhodes, dusty roads used to have this deal with you know you were traveling they'd, hey pull that rest area up here i gotta go to the bathroom i gotta relieve myself so we'd all go in the bathroom dusty be sitting there of course dusty was talking all the time 90 miles an hour all of a sudden you're talking to dusty and he turns to you while he's urinating and while he. When he turns, <laughs> he forgets he's still urinating. I mean it was it was a common sight for Dusty Road. That was that was one of his favorite. I he says it was always an accident, but I he was riding the hell out of
0: all of it. <laughs> so, yeah, after the thirty the time he does it, you think, you know what, yeah. this this isn't an accident.
2: <laughs> yeah, ain't
1: no more accidents. Well
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Jimmy, man. what was it like having Gerald Briscoe in your ear for all those years? <laughs>
1: uh you know because
0: what the, the, the people don't understand out there gerald was the guy who kept the, everything in order and charge all that stuff from the gorilla position with vince mm-hmm. and he's the one that was talking to the referees
1: no i i didn't have it i didn't have an issue with gerald you know gerald was awesome he'd, he'd give us our times basically to tell them to, to face the hard camera little things like this you know little cues one time and and just keep us in line i just remember that once it evolved to the producer sitting beside you, Mr. B, the producer for the match, and sometimes right. he would get on there to give us instructions. Like uh, I'll give you an example, WrestleMania 21. I'm referring the match huh. with Eddie, Eddie, Guerrero and Ray Mysterio, two legends. And I'm and I'm, you know, and the story of the match is that as Eddie tries to pin Ray throughout the match, he slowly gets, you know, shows a little more frustration throughout the match, not being able to pin Ray. So we're in the match. Uh, the, here comes a false finish. One, two, Ray kicks out. Eddie shows a little frustration. Dean gets on there. Dean says, tell Eddie he's got to show a little more frustration. I'm like, okay. I'm I'm not exactly 100% comfortable telling Eddie.
0: And, and that's Dean Eddie- Malenko, by the way. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Dean
1: Malenko. Uh, so I said, uh, Eddie. So I'm thinking to myself, Eddie. Dean says... i don't think it's coming from me (laughs) dean says you need to show a little more frustration and he goes and he he shot a little bit of a look so we get to another false finish one two ray kicks out dean gets on there again he says tell eddie he's got to show more frustration i'm like eddie dean says you got to show a little more frustration and now he goes he shoots now it's now it's the death stare and i'm going i'm contemplating now This is WrestleMania. And what's going through my mind is if he sends me another message, do I pass it on or not? This is, you know what I mean? So sure enough, here it comes. Big false finish. One, two. Ray barely kicks off. Eddie sits up and he's like, ah, Dean gets on there. Jimmy, tell Eddie he's got it. And I'm do I or don't I? I said, gotta try So I turned and said, Eddie, Dean, as soon as I said Dean says, he turns to me, and this is middle WrestleMania and just says, shut up." up shutting that up that was it and then the rest of, he he got on there gave more instruction tell Eddie this tell Eddie that and I just leaned in four minutes
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: three minutes that was it you know what I mean it, it, <laughs> I wasn't gonna tell him anything else and of course Eddie you know once we got to the back Eddie was awesome he said Jimmy I'm so sorry I didn't mean to scream at you like that I know it was, but you know I'm in the middle I'm my mind is and I go oh, trust me I get it I just you know I, I felt bad you know, and Jimmy,
0: you were the referee for the uh, match with uh, in Pittsburgh with uh, me and Ron and public enemy.
1: I know exactly where you're going with this. Yes. <laughs> what yeah.
0: was your Briscoe saying to you
1: then?
2: <laughs> I was going to ask about that
1: next, and I'm glad you jumped in there, Don. <laughs> uh, let me let me preface this. OK, so, you know, I have the match. It's you, you and Ron against Public Enemy, and I go to the ring like first, like everybody else. So I don't know what's happening up at Gorilla before they walk out. But you correct me if I'm wrong. Did they not? Did they or did they not say to you guys we're not doing the finish or we don't?
0: They said to me. So their their music's playing, literally playing. We went over the match. We went over everything. Everything was Mm -hmm. agreed to. You know, and it's not our finish, so it's not a, it's not like me and Ron created the finish. You know, right. given to us by the office, same as it was given to them by the office. They turn to me and say, "Hey, we don't want, we're not going to do that spot with the table." Well, that's the finish, and we're setting up the first table match in, in WWE. We're going to probably put them over. I have no idea what we're going to do the pay per view, but that was their match, so we'll probably put them over. Don't know that, but they said we're not doing this uh, spot with the table. I said, "That's the finish." And they said, "Yeah, we don't want to do that spot." I said, "Okay," <laughs> they but they didn't offer an alternative. They didn't say, "Hey, we're on, we don't want to do a spot. We're going to do a DQ. We're going to do this. We're to, we want to put you through it." They didn't offer any alternative. So mm-hmm. Ron turns to me, he goes, "What was that?" And I said, "They don't want to go to the table." And he said, "Well, we'll take the table to them." <laughs> that was it. And Jerry asked us. He said, "What's going on now?" The music's now. Our music's playing by this time. And I said, I really don't know. And he goes, you guys going over? I said, we are. <laughs> I said, I don't know what to think. 15 seconds or 15 minutes, but we're going over. So that's what happened before we walked out. We we walked down there thinking, we don't know what we're walking into. We assume it's a fist fight is what we think we're walking into.
1: Man, I'm down at the ring. I'm assuming it's going to be just like you guys had talked about. And all of a sudden, here comes- we had agreed enemy. to everything, and you were there when
0: yeah. we agreed to
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Public Enemy comes down, they do their entrance and the whole bit. And then here comes Ron and John and they have this different look on their face. Not not the APA look. This is like Ron and John coming out of a pub ready to... You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, that's a a nasty look. That's awesome. Then as soon as they hit the ring, boom. Oh, that was snug. And it just, it was a beating. And these guys were getting their asses beat. And I'm thinking to myself what is going on here and i'm hearing and, I, and i'm not hearing anything yet from mr briscoe you know the bell rang the whole bit and stuff like this and they're going on and they're just you guys just you guys put a laid a number on them let's put it and that it wasn't way. a it's hardcore hard. match
0: so I mean, I no, it was supposed to be a regular tag
1: right yeah but th- there was no tag and it was like a texas tornado match where everything goes and you guys are knocking the living snot out of these guys Finally, after a couple of minutes of this, I, I I think, I don't know, Mr. Bean, you could tell me if you were enjoying what was going on, but all of a sudden, uh, Gerald says, uh, Jimmy, you may want to think about ringing the bell to end this thing any time now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, ding, 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 but the mugging <laughs> kept going. And, you know, match was over and you guys, you know, I thought, oh boy, I'm going to witness a fight in the back. You know what I mean? And they came back, shook your hands, yep, said, right thank off. you. And I went, what did I just witness here? We
0: yeah. thought the same thing. We thought, well, the fight's going to happen in the back. So we went back to grill. We waited for him right there. We assumed that's where the fight's right. going to happen. And they came back through, said, thank you, shook our hand, and left. Yeah. And, and, left. left.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and left. Yeah. And <laughs> left. It was funny because 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 Mr. B says to me, he says to me, what took you so long to ring the bell? And I was like, oh, I'm waiting for you. <laughs> I don't know. I was stunned because, you know. I was expecting the match you guys had laid out. Next thing you know, it was a mugging.
2: Well, you know, you were involved in
1: that match. It
2: was a brutal match. And I give JBL and Ron and uh, Public Enemy all the credit in the world, but you were probably in the most brutal match that ever took place for the hardcore <laughs> title. And oh, you, my goodness, And uh, yes. a clumsy-ass Canadian like you are, you nearly
1: screwed the damn finish up. Yeah, I know, I know. Clumsy me. Here, here's the best part, though. Is um, crash. And Hawley that was, was that was involving
2: our partner up there too, JBL, because he he shirked his job to go drink beer with
1: Kid Rock. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this, was, if I'm not mistaken, this happened in Detroit. Yes, and, you're uh, right. This, so so Crash was sleeping in the APA office, and uh, Mr. <laughs> Briscoe had hired uh, had. a acquired my services to help him win the 24 seven hardcore championship because it could happen anywhere at any time. But the best part was as we were walking into the office, I was walking around the door frame and, and, and Gerald dragged me back, says, no, you got to go through the door. <laughs> so as <laughs> take care of your giving, John,
0: yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah.
1: So, so we sneak through the door and we sneak over and, you know, Gerald's giving me the instructions. When I cover him like one, two, You know, three. You count three. So he puts his finger on him, and Crash kind of rolls over. We both flinch, and then Gerald, you know, puts his finger on him. I count as quietly as I can: one, two, three. Point to Mister Briscoe. Give him the title. As we're walking out, I trip over a chair. (laughs) Wake Crash up, and then the chase was on, and then it ended up out in the arena and stuff like that. You know, clumsy me. What can I say? Yeah.
0: Yeah, And you also, you also did not catch Ray Mysterio cheating against me when i said i would quit to be beaten and beat because of that and so you
2: thought you thought you were going to get treated good on this kind of podcast i mean you're getting all the heat from me and john all this yep. late pin up we got to get some referees you know it was your fault that we lost you know? You, you know
1: your
0: fault
2: i your do
1: fault. i remember this match this was you and ray mysterio this is where you went to the corner okay they, i'm going to tell you something that very few people know about this. Uh, So in the match, you went to the corner to try and peel off the the corner pad. And I went to the corner to try and put it back on. You shot Ray 960 miles an hour into my back while I had my chest against the the turnbuckle pad. No joke. I literally fractured my breastbone. Really? Yeah. Uh, I didn't tell anybody this because uh, like I went all, you know, when all the air leaves your body and doesn't want to come back. That's what happened to me there. So I'm lying there on the side of the ring selling actually like that.
0: That was Ray's fault.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. And Stewie, the cameraman looks at me and goes, Jimmy, are you okay? And I'm going, I can't breathe. He says, what? I "I can't breathe. But I I said, don't tell anybody, you know, like I'm trying to tell, don't say anything. I don't want to get, you know, and then we get to the spot where he set you up for the 619, but I'm in the way on the ropes there. And it wasn't the most flattering look on television, anyways, with me draped over the ropes and you draped over behind me in the six one nine position. But yeah, that match, I actually fractured my 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 uh, I guess breastplate sternum bone, whatever you call it. Well, yeah. I don't feel so I don't feel so
0: bad then, but. <laughs>
1: uh, Jimmy, Jimmy, what
2: you know we you and I are average size person. You're out there a referee and, and you're you're in that ring with some behemoths. Like Layfield was at his heaviest, and I think he had set the scales at 285 or maybe 325 or something like that. But he was at his heaviest. And of course, Ron Simmons is a huge guy. Undertaker's a huge guy. Big show. Were they other than that moment there, were there any times where you inadvertently was in the way and you, you, got legitimately got squashed and got, got hurt or used to pretty well stay out of the way.
1: Uh, for the most part, I'm, I'm proud to say that I stayed out of the way, but there was occasional little things like, uh, you, you had to, I actually got this finger is like this because it got stepped on by Haku by accident, <laughs> <you know? Huh. laughs> the, which is, at least he didn't bite it off. <laughs> no, exactly.
0: yeah. hey, you know You're what? lucky. You're yes. very lucky. <laughs>
1: I, I, I didn't get Jimmy Jack funked or anything like that. This, this I'll take this any day from Haku. Let me put it to you that way. Uh, Vader one time got me, this was a long time ago. I think that it may have been Vader's debut match on raw way back in the day where he was facing Savio Vega and he was beating the living snot out of the sun, poor Savio, but you know, he's doing Savio's being a pro and he's doing his thing at the end of the match. After Savio basically gets counted out, he comes over to me he grabs me i had hair back then he huh. grabs me by the hair and gives me a headbutt but when he hit me with the headbutt i'm like oh my goodness where the hell am i and then he gives me a second one and i chip my tooth and he's still holding on to my hair so i can't go down i want to go down really bad but and then he chucks me out of the ring beside savio and, and i guess savio and saw what was going on and just put his arm around him. he says stay here kid
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, get away yeah. from that man
1: yeah don't go anywhere near him again and the other wrestlemania 4 i legitimately knocked myself out um and I how did you knock yourself out well the, the rumor was it, it was a match between honky tonk man and brutus the barber beefcake uh wow. brutus oh. gets Honky in the, the sleeper hold jimmy hart jumps up on the apron i go to him and as i turn around he waffles me with the uh megaphone the megaphone didn't knock me out i was fine i went to Faceplant on the canvas and as i went down my hands shot out and my chin i guess it hit the sweet spot it's the last thing i remember the only thing the thing i remember after that is being in the back sitting in a chair and danny davis chewing me out for dead waiting him when they were helping me back <laughs> <laughs> said yeah what a rib way to rib me kid i said what what you know he thought i was you know Fun I,
0: which which guys like you had honky tonk Brutus Barber? You, you had Piper. I mean, who, who was in the ring was just fun to be with?
1: Oh my good, Owen! Owen. Owen, <laughs> Owen was just a blast. I mean, you know, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I'd look down and my shoelaces are untied, and <laughs> I don't know how he did it to this day. Uh, funny, funny story relates to you too, as well, John, because this happened <laughs> in Ottawa the next night after Montreal when a debuting Carl LeDuc was facing a Justin Hawk Bradshaw. That's right. <laughs> I, remember, I remember being in the ring because I refereed this match anyways, uh, in the back. So they they meet up and John's being polite to this. Hey, how you doing? How long you been working? He goes, about three weeks. and what? Yeah. So so what do you do for a finish? Uh, because they wanted the kid to go over. I mean, it's a LeDuc in Montreal, I guess. And you, you were like being the pro. So yeah, what do you do for a finish? Oh, I don't have one. Okay, we'll just uh, you, we'll just do a small package then? John says, We'll just do a small package, and I'm and he goes, I don't know how to do that. Oh true, true. <laughs> this yeah. is true. So so he's and John's like, Pardon? He says, I don't know how to do that. And John looks at me and goes, Jimmy, small package me. And I said, What? <sighs> he says, Small package me. I, like don't I'm not saying that I know everything, but I knew how to do a small package. <laughs> so here I am in the locker room in Montreal. I small package John, and while he's in a small package, he looks up at the kid and goes, See how it's done. <laughs> he says okay i think i could do that so we get out to the match and oh my goodness it was just the. Uh, didn't At one point,
0: he shot me off and didn't call anything and that that's when i just booted him in I, yeah, mean, I, didn't I, him, I, I didn't give him much after that
1: i remember there was one boot to the back when he was in the seated position where i thought here comes his lunch <laughs> <laughs> so you put yourself basically in a small package.
0: I did. I hooked his arm around me. I him, hooked his arm around me. I clotheslined him. Hooked his arm around me. Hooked his leg. And I pulled him on top of me, Jerry, for a one, two, three. <laughs> That's he had awful. no <laughs> idea what he was doing. He beat me. I kicked out yeah. and then I clotheslined him.
1: Yeah, And then the next night, we're in Ottawa. and This uh, was
0: awesome.
1: Yeah, So the next night, we're in Ottawa. And they didn't want the kid to get beat up again. So they said, okay, he's going to work with Owen tonight. And Owen, I think it was Chief. I don't know if I'm not No, sure no, what it was it. George Steele. George Steele. What, whatever you do, don't let this kid hit the ropes. Bec- don't shoot him off because what he would do is he'd run to the ropes, kind of stop, turn around, lean, and start running the other way. He it didn't know how awful. to hit the ropes. It was horrible. So we're in the ring, and all of a sudden they lock up, and even that was not so nice. Owen grabs a headlock and says, shoot me off crisscross. <laughs> and... I, and I'm trying not to laugh my ass off. It was <laughs> so Owen's running across the ropes, but he's doing it in the old over-exaggerated thing. And this kid's doing it. Oh my goodness. It's it
0: about crazy. the worst thing I've ever seen in a professional wrestling ring. Oh, Last man. thing George Steele said was don't let him hit the ropes. Owen yep. locks up and goes crisscross and it makes the kid hit the ropes
1: <laughs> and, and, about 20 and I,
0: times. And, and it was I, so I, bad. And Owen is just, Owen is taking it serious, but he's going real slow to keep (laughs) this. Oh,
1: he would—he would do some stuff in the ring that just how—how. I couldn't keep a straight face a lot of the times.
2: Jimmy, that's a question I was going to ask you. I mean, we, you know, we're, we're serious out there. We get the job done and everything. You guys got to be the serious referee in there. And There's times, I mean, when something happens like that. We we told the story last week that I would have cracked up if I'd been in an arena where on used to pantomime the spots to the audience. He's going to tackle me. I'm going to go down, he's going to cover one, two, I'm going to kick out, and then he's going to grab a headlock and take me over. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sure you were involved in a lot of those matches, too.
1: Oh, my goodness. And how you kept from laughing. uh, It it wasn't easy, I'll tell you. I remember we were in Germany, and it was during a tag match. Uh, Him and Jeff Jarrett versus Edge and Christian. So, my goodness. Obviously, there's no cameras there, so anything goes, I guess. So Owen's in the ring and he's getting heat on, on uh, I want to say he's getting heat on Edge or something like that. And he's doing stuff like he'll go up to the bottom rope and dive and do the dive on Edge's ankles and cover him there and yell at me to count. He's covering his ankles. you know. So, you know, I'm counting one, two, and Edge is barely kicking out. And we're doing all this stuff. And then they get to the spot where they have a foreign object where I would get distracted. Owen would use this foreign object then Jay would come in and distract me and then they'd pass it over to Jeff. And when I check Owen, he doesn't have the object and, you know, back and forth. And then they get to the spot where it says, okay, now you're going to catch Owen with the, the object. He's going to have it tucked under his arm. And, you know, you do the count one, you know, to five to make him lift his arm. So the object falls out. So, <laughs> okay. Owen, I know you got something under there. Lift your arm. No, no lift your, okay. So I go one, two, three. I hit four. He lifts his arm and this red napkin comes floating down like this. And I wanted to laugh my butt off so hard. I mean, like he's been using a foreign napkin as a foreign object. Yeah, from Germany. <laughs> I guess so. So I didn't know what to do. So I just picked up the napkin and just started yelling at him. Were you using this? We're you using this? And then I started doing the stupid, like trying to throw it out of the ring and it's a napkin. It's not going anywhere. And I'm, you know, <laughs> anyways. so I started having fun with it. And while I was doing that, they get into a four way and they get ready to do the, the 10 punches in the corner where they got both guys, like uh, crisscross uh, opposite corners. And, uh, you know, Jay and uh, edge have uh, Jeff and Owen in the down for the, and while they're looking at the crowd like this, going like this, Jeff and Owen reach in their trunks, pull out this red, Clown nose, and put it on so when that you know Jay and Jay and Edge look around, turn around to do the ten punches, and there are these clown noses down, and then they, <laughs> they couldn't hold it; they just started going. But then they started punching, and believe it or not, to this day I still have those. I picked up those clown noses and I kept them. <laughs> wow. yeah. You know, you Jim, know the, fun,
0: the funniest funnest times we had was when we had the brand split, and we had Mondays off, and we had championships every Monday. So we didn't play golf. We played miniature golf. we would race go-karts. We'd yes. have the whole, we'd have the whole crew go out. I mean, there'd be sometimes 20 or 25 people that would go out and, and go miniature golfing and a bunch of yeah. beer and bets. And it was, those were some of the greatest Monday nights of all time.
1: Oh my goodness. We had so much fun. Like, you know, like you said, it wasn't every Monday, but when we did have a Monday off, we took full advantage of it and just enjoyed it. I remember, Oh, was it you, uh, that time in the sand, we were playing golf somewhere and Booker was playing with us and, and you were hitting out of the sand. And as you followed through, the ball hit your club a second time and he freaked out. He said, that was a double tap. That was a double tap. <laughs> yeah. That's a stroke. That's a stroke. And he started to out <laughs> And
0: I, and you know, I claimed that. it wasn't. I said, no, 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 that, that no, was not. That
1: no, was it was a double tap. I saw it. <laughs>
0: No, We're we out had a, in the villa golf course. We yeah. We're about our 14th or fifteenth hole, and about our fifteenth or sixteenth beer. We're arguing over that double tap on
2: the. <laughs> force from behind. that force behind. You is all terrified. These big guys are
1: getting the fight <laughs> green. Up. No, nobody ever said, "Are you guys going to hurry up a little bit?" It's funny. Uh, I doubt yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> but it was a blast. <laughs> whether mini golf was a blast too, but there were always pops involved for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I know the I
2: know the experience with that. No,
1: it was uh, so Jim, much
2: Jimmy, we go we go from the lighter side. I mean, other than uh, when uh APA beat the crap out of uh, public enemy, uh, there are times in the matches where you know guys get a little heated and, and a lot of our fans don't realize the guys get and it turned from a work into a shoot where those punches start laying a little bit heavier there. And you know, what's your reaction and how do you try to simmer the the, the situation down the the
1: it very rarely happened while i was in there fortunately but when it did happen basically what i would try to do is guys remember we're on tv or you know you guys got to calm down that you know you know you try to settle the situation and as much as you can but there were times where guys would get like vader was another one who some like i said sometimes huh. we just uh for lack of a better term go into business for himself and uh, just uh he, he had a habit of pissing people off for some reason. I don't know. Uh, no. I, and you know, when guys are that big, you don't want to like get like physically uh. in between them and try to, you can, how, you know, Vader
0: was strange and, and, and I liked Leon uh, and I worked mm. with him a lot. Um, mm. he, every week he would out of the blue, just like you say, going to business for himself. And all of a sudden these mm. punches are, I mean, they're like live rounds. I mean, they're mm. just, they're incoming. And you know, you fire a couple back, and he's fine. But he, you know, he it's something about him. He just he would get that mindset of mm. go, 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 and all of a sudden you you're sitting there. It's incoming with him.
1: Right. The most interesting one I saw didn't happen in the ring. I, it, I saw it brewing there, but it ended up happening in, it, after the match was over in the back. It was Eddie and Kurt Angle.
2: <laughs> Tell that, us that I,
1: story. That's a great story. There. Oh, I, I, I I don't know what set, but they just they were just hot. And they got through the match. They were very professional. In the match on TV, but when they got through Gorilla and walked to the f- just on the other side of Gorilla, they just started yelling at each. other. I can't even remember what they were selling. They were just yelling. They were throwing bombs at each other verbally. Then all of a sudden, they locked up. And again, like, how am I going to break this thing up? Luckily, Big Show was there, and Show kind of like walked over and just kind of like. I think John me.
2: got. I think John got involved there. Too. Yeah, I think, like I think he he got involved in the dressing there. room. Oh. I, was, uh, I was back in the dressing yeah. room, okay. I okay. remember I ran I ran out of Gorilla because I heard all the commotion there hollering, Briscoe, <laughs> your boy's out there shooting. Uh, Holy shit, what's going on? They, like you said, they walked through Gorilla like nothing happened. Yeah. And uh, yeah. once they cleared Gorilla, man, uh, the crap was on. <laughs> yeah. So by the then time I got there, by the time I got there, show one, a couple of other guys had already broken it up, and so we rushed them into yeah. the uh, – and to the dressing room. That's when John comes in and breaks the ice.
0: Yeah, uh, so I, I hear what's going on, and you can tell it's a fight. You know, you just yeah. you can tell there's a there's a fight between the boys. And as they're kind of coming down the hallway toward the dressing room, because me and Eddie were dressing together, and we're I think we're the only ones in the locker room. Uh, they get Eddie to the dressing room, and John Laurinaitis shuts the door so that he separates Kurt and Eddie. Well, now he leaves Eddie on the side of the dressing room with me. And I realized there's been a fight. And I realized that Eddie tried to leg dive Kurt Angle. Was Olympic how gold <laughs> so Eddie comes and sits right beside me and he's not looking at me at all. He's just, just staring at, staring at the door and, and I'm looking at it and he won't, he won't look at me and he's just staring at the door. And I finally, I said, why would you leg dive a gold medalist <laughs> <laughs> And without even, without, without, without moving, he goes, cause I'm stupid.
1: <laughs> I love that story. Man. Oh, it, it, it was almost as much fun as the Daniel Pewter one. That's for sure. Oh, tell yeah. Tell, that, oh,
2: that, was, that was I was I was pissed off all day about that thing. Oh, there, were So they're
1: they're going through the tough enough tournament thing, and and one of the things they had the guys do that day was eating plates of pasta all day long and doing wind sprints up the ramp and all this stuff, getting getting these guys all blown up, and then the final came to TV. On TV, they had him do burpees or the squat thrusts. And and they keep going until there was one man left. And there were two guys left. And I want to say it was, it was Pewter, uh, who was in great shape. He's still going. And I want to say it was Dan Rodemeyer was it the other one? Or Noess here was Noess no, here. No. Oh, he was in it too, but he wasn't one of the last guys left. Okay. And then we get, okay, okay, get rid of the blonde guy. So we're looking, they're both blonde, but pewter yeah. was more blonde than everybody, so we said, "Okay, pewter you're out." Mind you, we picked the wrong blonde guy. So then, after the, I like making the wrong one-legged guy. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the greatest stories ever. <laughs> oh my goodness!
1: <laughs> so, so basically, we eliminated the wrong guy, and we left the, the the wrong guy in the ring. And his reward was he gets to have an amateur wrestling match with an Olympic gold medalist after getting blown up doing uh, burpees for like whatever. But you said the yeah. important thing, an amateur match. Right, amateur match. Uh-huh. So, you know, of course they start and of course Kurt makes quick work of this poor kid, just ties him up in knots and stuff like that. And, you know, we raise Kurt's hand the whole bit. Charles and I are in the ring. And then Kurt just looks over at the rest of the, the, the guys on the floor and says, anybody else want to give it a shot? And I looked at, Al snow who is you know the tough enough trainer and he looked at me and went Kurt's gonna do what Kurt's gonna do so pewter puts his hand up and Kurt goes okay you get in here and I'm more like and I'm looking at Al going what do you do I'm not gonna stop Kurt Kurt's gonna do what he's gonna do so okay here we go guys amateur match let's go so they get into it and they they're really going at it and then they get tied up in the corner and somehow pewter got what I later found out was a key lock or a Kimura, like a legit shoot yeah. submission. Like if you don't tap, he's going to take your arm basically kind of hold on Kurt. And I didn't realize it was that bad at the time, but I knew it wasn't good. So in my mind, all I could think of was, is how do we get out of this darn thing? So when they fell to the ground, Kurt fell on top of them still in that like, hammer lock in that key lock. And I just, it, I, it wasn't like, okay, I'm waiting for this opportunity. Once they hit the ground, I saw they were down. and I just counted. I counted three and that was it. End of the match. And then Kirk got up and, and, uh, got in his face, gave him a whole bunch of heck and stuff like that. And to Pewter's credit, he was like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I looked at Al, he looked at me, he went, he nodded. And then I didn't know what was going to happen. So I went back to Gorilla. And I, as I was walking through Gorilla, I could see, I see Mr. Briscoe there. And he just looks at me and he goes, that's all he did. Little thumbs up as I walked by. And that was it. And then I get to the back and I, and I run into Fit. And Fit goes, what happened there? I said, I don't know. He just went into business for himself and just did that. He said, who told you to count? I said, nobody. I just, I just did it. It, it without thinking. I just did it. He said, well, you probably saved Angle's uh, arm. And I went, "Was it that bad? Like, again, not being an MMA guy, I didn't know the severity of the hold. I found that out afterwards.
0: Yeah, and, and I watched uh, that whole event today, getting ready for the show today, and the how Kurt Angle described it and how Pewter described it. Kurt wasn't expecting any submissions. It was an amateur match.
1: Mm-hmm. You right. Know?
0: And I, I don't know if uh, Pewter – thought there were any restrictions at all, you know, in defense of, uh, of Daniel pewter. So Kurt wasn't expecting a camera. I wasn't expecting anything because he was expecting an amateur match.
1: Right. And, and I blame myself because being an amateur match, you only have to count one. <laughs> one. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, you,
2: you got a lot of heat for that. Uh, not, not real heat, but you, uh, you know, well, why do you count two if it's a professional match? You know, mm-hmm. well, you just, well, you counted one, you counted out just out of habit. You hit that second, second time there, but, uh, the, oh yeah. You know, but you did the right thing. Everything I, was right. done right. I'm
1: wired for wrestling, so everything's a three. You know what I mean? It's, uh, yeah. it's just the way I'm wired. So, yeah. But, but uh, yeah, it's uh, all it, day it long,
2: a- all day long. I bitched about that match because Kurt was just coming off a severe broken, broken freaking neck. I believe it mm-hmm. was or his shoulder. Something was bad with Kurt. He would mm-hmm. he had, they rushed him back uh, through Kurt's insistence. I'm ready. I'm ready to go, even though he wasn't ready to go. And all day long I said, Guys, something bad's gonna happen. I I remember before it even went to the ring, I was in Vince's face saying, Hey man, let's say we shouldn't be doing this stuff. Well, it's too late now. We've already, we already decided we're doing it. And I'm I'm bitching, I'm screaming, I'm hollering like crazy. And I think I'm on the headset hollering at you too, you know, but you'd already you'd already made the decision to count. So mm. you did the right thing.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, it could have been worth. What they should have done with the tough enough guys is have them meet up with Fit and do the spoon game.
0: That would have been even <laughs> right. <better>. That's right. <laughs> I've seen that spoon game in person several times. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the <laughs> game ever.
1: Oh, it is fantastic. I, 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 the first time I saw it was on one of those overseas trips to 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 Ireland, and uh, we were in the bar, and I'm watching it, and I'm going. This is one of the best things I've ever seen in my life.
0: For those that don't know, Dave Finley, Finley, who's one of the greatest rivers of all time, one of the best (laughs) guys of all time, he had a spoon game where he would put a a spoon in your mouth, put a spoon in this guy's mouth, and you lower your head and you hit the guy with the spoon, and whoever taps first uh, is the Mm. loser. What you don't realize is there's somebody standing behind Finley with a ladle And when you when you lower your head, the guy with the big ladle would hit you over the head with a ladle. (laughs) The guys never catch up. They're going, I don't know how it's hit me that hard with a spoon. So (laughs) Uh
1: I remember how many times a guy say, How do you generate so much momentum with that thing? I can barely you know, it hurts my teeth and all this stuff. They're going.
2: Yeah, it was great. J- Jimmy, Jimmy JBL has a record for falling for that thing, by the way. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> hey, I do have the record for falling for Pat's uh, lineup. Hey, I was I was just down in Texas. You know who was asking about you? Nobody, Nobody. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: I've that probably fifty times.
1: Yeah. It could be worse. It could be it could be it could have been Andre doing it, which would have been a completely different story, but yeah. How was did it you to have to a, do you have any
2: matches with Andre? Or any, oh, yeah. Any memory, any good, what, what are some of your fondest memories of Andre besides getting drunk with
1: him? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, he did get me drunk before a show once. Uh, oh, again, wow. It was during during the days, uh, you know, where Jack hands me the keys to his catalog. says, go up to the Marriott and pick Andre. And Timmy wasn't traveling with him that day because he had a weekend off. So Danny Davis was riding with him. So I get to the hotel. I call up to Andre's room no answer. So I called Danny and Danny, uh, it's Jimmy. I'm here to pick you and boss up, you know, uh, but I called his room. He's not there. You know, Danny, Oh, he's probably in the bar. Just go get him. go there. I'll meet you guys there in about five minutes or so. I said, all right. So I go into the bar. Hey boss. Hey kid. How are you? He says, uh, I said, I'm here to take you and Danny down. He's going to be down in about five, 10 minutes. He goes, okay, have a drink. And I'm thinking, but I'm driving. He says, Oh, just one drink. It's going to be okay. You don't have one drink with Andre. It's Mm -hmm. impossible to have one drink with Andre. Next thing you know, I don't know how long it took Danny to get down there. I'm like, yeah, I'm feeling it. So Danny comes down. He goes, you okay to drive? I said, I have to be. Because if we pull up to the building and I'm not driving the car, uh, that's it for me. Jack's not going to be happy. You know what I mean? So, you know, we get in the car and I'm driving carefully. And it's like, "Mm -hmm." we get down to the building. And Danny, to this just, you know what? Stay away from everybody until you... Ease up. I said, okay. But I have to give Jack his keys back. So I'm like, here you go, Jack. He says, hey, Jimmy, come here. Yes, sir. He says, you okay? "Mm -hmm. Have you been drinking? I went, I didn't want to say no because I didn't want to lie. He says, was Andre in the bar when you got there? I went, he says, tell you what, go in my office. I have some coffee. Go drink some coffee. Don't let any of the agents see you. So he was cool that way. I guess he figured, you know, Right. Andre. Yeah, it was Andre. So what are you going to do? I remember refereeing. <laughs> I remember I remember refereeing a match between him and Ultimate Warrior one time. It was a cage Ooh. match. Oh my goodness! And they had their little issues back in the days. Yes, they did. Oh my goodness! I've so, seen a couple of them. <laughs> oh my goodness! the The one that makes me laugh the, the the most is they used to do a spot where Warrior would hit the ropes and uh, clothesline Andre, and he'd hit him on the third one. Andre would tie himself up in the. the the third and second rope. But Andre told him one time, because you couldn't hurt him, but he says, listen, you don't have to hit me that hard. I will sell for you. He says, okay. So here they go. First one comes in and you can see Andre teeter. Second one, Andre teeters. Third one comes. Andre puts that fist up like this and Warrior runs right into it. Bam! Goes down. He says, hit me with another clothesline. He hits him with another clothesline. He ties himself up and he looks over at Bobby Heenan, who was the manager. goes, he's learning. (laughs) But... (laughs) in the cage match you know like i said they had their issues so there was a spot where he would get warrior seated in the corner and he would kind of sit on him almost like rikisha used to do back in the day Mm -hmm. like he'd do the seated thing but he'd kind of rub his butt on him a little bit and stuff like that i don't know what andre was eating or (laughs) drinking that day but it was right by the door so i'm manning the door of the cage and he's dropping some bombs while he's sitting on warrior and I could see Warrior's face <laughs> turning all shades of green and purple and blue. And I'm going, Oh my god. And I'm I'm to, 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 I'm trying to see if people are noticing this. And Andre's like, to, huh, 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 huh. he's got you know that laugh. And he's you can hear Warrior, you're killing me. You're killing. Huh, huh, huh. He was killing me, and I wasn't even the one being sat on, but it was like, Oh my goodness.
0: Uh I'm so Andre did not like Warriors. No. What was the I, I,
2: I, saw, I saw a match here in, in Florida that I can remember exactly where it was, at Fort Myers, Florida. The night before, we'd worked in some little town, and the match just got booed out of the arena because Warrior was squashing Andre the Giant. You remember that, Jimmy? I mean, mm. he was squashing him every night. So uh, we got to Fort Myers, and uh, Andre saw me, and he, uh, I said, What are you doing tonight, boss? He said, The usual, but you might want to watch. Yeah. So he at that spot where Andre's tied up in, in the damn uh damn uh, rope. Uh Warrior comes off and he nails, he nails, he nails Andre. I guess he nailed him a little stiff. Andre just stood up and come out of that damn tied up rope There He grabbed Warrior by the hair and he started just started paintbrushing him. He paint brushed him for 30 seconds since it slammed me. Say so, uh Warrior slammed me. cover one, two, three. But uh at 30 seconds, I thought I, I actually had sympathy for warrior.
0: Oh
1: my goodness.
0: Wow. Oh
1: yeah. <laughs> and what are you gonna do? It's
0: the giant. Yeah, exactly. it's the giant.
1: Yeah, You're not going fly back until it'll be worse, you know. See, and it was the same way in the bar. You just couldn't if what regardless if he was on his 40th or fiftieth drink, <laughs> you keep he offers you a drink, you're not saying no. No. That's and it never fails
2: never fails when he's on about his forty or fiftieth drink. Some damn drunk redneck will come up to him. Hey, you're not so big, I think you take me. I said at a little uh redneck bar down the street here called uh
1: yeah
2: uh, uh I can't even remember. But Henri just took the took the palm of his fist and just kind of backhand the guy and the guy went through the damn wall. <laughs> what a powerful man. Incredible.
0: Jimmy, I want to ask you I, some something that's so dark, but uh, you were in the ring also with Owen Hart when, when he fell in, uh, I guess we were in Kemper Arena uh, mm-hmm. there in Kansas City. And we, we were on, I just looked up the card to see, because I, I thought I was like one of the following matches, and I was. I was like two matches later. I was the one that went in, and, and I remember going in and telling Undertaker who was wrestling with Steve, I believe, um, and telling him, you know, Owen, something bad has happened. Something right. really bad's wrong, uh, but you were in the ring with that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah,
1: yeah. I was in the ring uh, right before that match was to take place. They had a hardcore match, and so I went out to the ring to help them clear some of the debris out. You know, there's like broken tables and all this sort of stuff. So myself, Timmy Rogers was in the ring sweeping with a broom. Uh, I was holding the the top rope with my left hand, and I was kicking stuff out of the ring and heading towards that same corner. I was walking t- towards that corner. And there was a promo playing on the screen uh, of Kevin Kelly interviewing Owen the blue as a blue blazer. So I was kind of half watching that and half kicking this stuff out. And I heard some screaming. I didn't, again, not knowing anything. And I felt something brush against the side of my head, and my shoulder. And at, it, instantaneously that top rope that I was holding snapped out of my hand and snapped back. And I didn't know what it was, so I my my instant reaction was to duck. Because I'm like I didn't know what was going on, so I kind of look around and I saw that the rope was still there. And I, I thought it didn't break, so I don't know what's going on. And I and I wow and I turn and I look in the corner and there's Owen laying there face up, uh you know, still in the blue blazer garb with the mask, and I not again not putting two and two together because I know he's supposed to descend, but I and I'm like, what, what the heck is going on here? So I called out a couple of times, and there was no response. His eyes were still wide open. There was no response. But the one thing I noticed that that I didn't, again, clue into was he had this mark on his on his forearm, on, on the inside of his forearm. It looked like a, a, like a little scoop, of, like an ice cream scooper had scooped out a, a piece of flesh. And I'm looking, I'm going, what is going on here? And I called out. There was no response. And that's when I just started screaming for, to Mark, um, Yaten, who was the timekeeper. We need help! We need help! We need help! We need help! And I, but I didn't want to touch him either. I did again, not knowing what was going on. And then the ring filled up with, with EMTs and everybody, and it was just horror, It was just horrifying. I, did, I again, not putting two and two together. And I didn't find out until the next day. Still to this day, I don't know. Don't remember going from Kansas City to St. Louis for RAW the next day. I remember that they um, uh, Steve Taylor had me go to the hospital to get checked out to make sure I was okay because I I followed the wheel uh, the stretcher out to the back and watched them put Owen into the ambulance. I was I I was shaking. I was a mess and somebody at the time I used to smoke. So somebody handed me a cigarette and I was trying to calm down, have a cigarette and stuff like that. And John D'Amico came out and said they want you to go get checked out. I said, "I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm just gonna. I need to come. No, go get checked out." So I went to the hospital. They just made sure I was okay and I was fine. And then John stayed with me. And again, don't remember how I got to St. Louis, but it wasn't until the next day. First person I saw was Taker when I got to the building, and he asked me if I was okay, and I said, "I, I guess so." And he said, "Well, you need anything, you come to me." And I said, "Cool." It was a, and I'm, you know, running into everybody and, and it wasn't until I saw Jerry Lawless uh, and he said to me that, uh, are you OK? And I said, yeah. He said, I don't know if, if you know this, but I he saw he witnessed the last apparently 20 feet of the fall. He caught it and he said, the first thing I went through his mind is, oh, my God, he's going to fall on Jimmy. And, and what I felt brush against me apparently was Owen. And and when he told me that, that's when I just, I just lost it. I just, you know, and and then I started feeling guilty. It's so weird to say this, that I started feeling guilty because I, you know, because thinking that I could have been a part of this tragedy as well, but now I'm feeling guilty for feeling that way because a family just lost a son, a husband, a father, and I'm over there feeling fortunate. Do you know what I mean? So now it's now my head is like a jumbled mess, and yeah, and, uh, it was it was tough. Wow, it,
0: it was such a crazy time, and you know, I, I was in the back, and, and I, we, me and Ron had dressed with Owen earlier, sure. um, you know, but we didn't. I, he, we weren't there when he went out. Or I don't think we were, but we dressed with mm. him that day, and then when it happened, you know, Vince didn't know what to do. You know, we mm. were on two matches later. And I think it's two matches, one or two, uh, two or three matches later. And mm-hmm. I remember Vince just kind of saying, "If basically, if you want to wrestle, wrestle. If you don't, don't." You know, he didn't know what to do. Uh, right. You know, you, there's there's no contingency plan really for for something like that. And I, I don't know what the right answer was. Um, mm-hmm. I thought at the time, you know, perhaps we should go on. Uh, to, and I still don't mm-hmm. know what the right answer is
1: no it, it's easy to armchair quarterback as they say and say oh i should have done this should have done that should have done that but like you said that, that was uncharted water you know there uh, is' no unf- right <clears throat> there is no un- right answer
2: unfortunately that that not, i was in in charge and and i i had to be the bearer of news that go around to the town after after speaking with Vince and Kevin Dunn. We went into uh, Vince's office along with Kevin and they made the call to to Martha, uh, his wife. And, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, what are we going to do? Uh, guys are, you know, obviously visually shaken and we got to go on with the show. So I had to be the one to go out there. And then I mean, most of the guys, you know, were professional and we got to do it. Some of the guys, kind of gave me, how can we go on with the show? Right, come on, Briscoe, how can we do this? And I said, it's not my decision. I, I'm I'm just following orders like everybody else says. But we're, we we got to finish the show up. And so, like, like both of you guys said, there was no right answer that uh, that night. It, it was unprecedented. Uh, something like that happened. And fortunately, it's never happened again. And hopefully, it never happened in, in mm-hmm. again in, in our lifetimes.
1: So. Amen.
0: Yeah, it was, it was such a, a crazy time, you know, and because mm-hmm. we were one of the ones that went on laughter. And I just remember I'd never, I never – I didn't know. You know, we, me and Ron, I didn't know you mm-hmm. know, what, what to do. We kind of thought we should go on. And I think that's the thought of most of the guys that, you know, we you don't want to just leave with such a – you know, that tragedy was so bad. And it mm-hmm. was kind of like, you know, we want to kind of at least do something. You mm-hmm. know, and, and – don't know what the right answer was, or, or, or what the wrong answer was. You know, I, I don't think exactly. I don't think anybody. I think people would debate it for, forever. The people that choose to debate it, but uh, if you were there, like we were, there was not an easy answer.
2: No, no. Well, it was not an easy night on anybody uh, that night. The, the low ventus face. I mean, and uh, and even Kevin Don, who, who who's emotionless a lot of times when things happened. I mean, Kevin was a uh, I've never seen Kevin so emotional, and 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 my career that that night also. So, it was it was one of one of those things that I remember after it was all over with. Uh, Bruce and I went out to the Kansas City uh, Marriott to wait the next morning to fly out to St. Louis, and all Bruce and I could do was sit there and look out the window. We couldn't we couldn't find words to talk to each other. We're in between sobs and everything. I mean. We just didn't know what to do and how to handle it. Uh, and, and they all, but, you know, being around family like we're all around on those TV events, everybody backing each other up. And, uh, you know, the next day was kind of therapy for, for the guys to, to be around each other and kind of, kind of you know, kind of yeah. change, change the direction.
1: Exactly like you said, uh, Mr. B. And uh, it's funny because that Monday in St. Louis, Jr. who was is- – uh, had a head of talent relations said, listen, if you want to go home, we'll send you home right now. And that, all that sort of stuff. And I told him, I think I need to be here. I felt like I needed to be there mm. for that. And and for, like you said, and I know again, uh, you know, we say it a lot of times that your, your road family is your family. And it was true. It was never more true than that mm. Monday night in, in St. Louis where it, it did. It felt like we were truly a family.
0: Jimmy, to, to try to to, uh, to go to lighten the mood just a little yes, bit. Sure. The, the turnbuckle, the turnbuckle pad behind you. a Segway. Oh. Yes. Segway is what I'm looking for. It's been a while mm. since I've Segway. Yes,
1: <laughs> so, Here you like, go. Segway
0: yeah. is what I'm looking yeah. for. The turnbuckle pad behind behind you. You told me there was a story to it.
1: Yeah. This turnbuckle pad, believe it or not, was from WrestleMania 6 at the Sky Dome in Toronto. I'm still going to call it the Sky Dome, right. regardless of what they call it now. The Sky Dome. The Sky Dome. (laughs) It's one of those deals where I said to myself, I need a souvenir from this other than something that says WrestleMania 6 because I still have the WrestleMania 6 hat. And that was the Hogan Warrior. uh, Yeah. But I wanted an actual souvenir. So I figured I'll grab one of these, sneak it in my bag, and if somebody says anything, uh, maybe it'll be one of those situations where I could ask for forgiveness later instead of permission now. (laughs) That's (laughs) awesome. So so I just snagged that and I kept it and it, and it's cool and 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 it just sits here in my little den kind of office thing and as a reminder that 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 WrestleMania was cool because uh, we, I've talked about this with Edge that was Edge attended that WrestleMania in the crowd as a as a fan as a young teenager and I was in the ring for it and then many years later I got to referee his main event match at WrestleMania. Wow. which was the coolest thing ever
2: you know did you know did you right? know edge yeah. you know Ed when he was a
1: kid coming to the matches or, or ever no. no no the first time I met edge was he was an extra that was in Hamilton uh for a Hamilton show and he, I think he was a substitute for somebody uh and ended up having to work Bob Holly, if I'm not mistaken. Of all people, oh, well,
2: what, well, what an well, initiation, right? <laughs> welcome,
1: welcome, welcome to the Fed, oh, kid. No, <laughs> talk
2: about work and shoot there. You never knew with Bob. Oh, I know one of the best dropkicks
1: ever in the business, but uh, oh, yeah,
0: yeah, don't yeah. Drop... that dropkick is there's is one of I'll put it with anybody of all time,
1: yeah, but don't. Don't tick him off. Just let's put it that way.
0: Yeah. Oh my God. I, I worked open match with Bob for almost six months straight. It, it was, I've been in car wrecks. That, that was, but I, to Bob's credit, he took it just like he gave it. He just yeah. he just liked it rough. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. But but to Edge's credit, he That sounds kind of strange there, John. Yeah. <laughs> it just liked it rough.
2: Yeah. I've heard that about you too.
0: Uh, I bet uh, you (laughs)
1: have.
0: Hey, who was better? Was uh, Jerry better or would, would Billy Kidman found a way to take Jerry's job? uh...
1: No, I always have a soft spot for Mr. B. He, because I learned so much from him. That's why Billy Kidman was just, he wanted to play ha ha all the time. So, uh, Gerald was an actual teacher, but at the same time, Oh, oh, I remember this one time because when Kai and Ty used to do the, uh, and the, the promo thing, the Indeed, Indeed stuff. Bruce used to be the voice of Kai and tai. So he'd come up to Gorilla and he'd like, uh, hey, you know, they do the voice and then all of a sudden Indeed. But that was Bruce. But one day at TV, Bruce was nowhere to be found. He was backstage producing something, a backstage segment or something. So I'm standing up in Gorilla and we're waiting and everybody's like, where's Bruce? Somebody find Bruce. Couldn't find Bruce. And then, you know, the truck's saying, we got to go. We got to do this. So Mr. B hands me the mic. He says, "You be kaiantai." I said, "Pardon me." He says, "Yeah, just say whatever comes to your head and be kaiantai." And then when they give the mic to Funaki, you just say, "Indeed." So I just rambled off some stuff. Hey, when that bell rings and blah blah blah, and I said, "I don't even remember what the heck I said." Just stuff spewed out. And then they handed the mic to Funaki, and I went, "Indeed." <laughs> and 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 Mr. Briscoe says, "Okay, you're our backup guy if we ever need it." And I went, "Great." And, when,
0: when, when Billy Kidman took over Jerry's job, I, I would sit by there every day and say, you know, it's your fault, Jerry's not here. It's your fault. It's your fault, Jerry's not here. And oh, Billy yeah. would always say, he can have his job back. <laughs> that was the that was just about the most heated job. Paul Bear tried to do it for a while. Oh, and he, oh man. No. I'm he lasted bad. about three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Now yeah, they now they got four the now moment. they got now they got four guys working with Billy Kidman trying to do the job that I did all by myself.
1: <laughs> there you go. You know, I get I get I give Mr. Briscoe credit. But even though back in the day, you know, on on headset, you know, in, in the ring on the IFB, we would hear Gerald speak to us. He was the only voice. Nowadays, the truck talks to you. These guys talk to you. Now they can talk back. You know, uh, and uh, there's conversations going back and forth. I liked it, but mind you, I I did, speaking of WrestleMania four, I did get in trouble at WrestleMania four a little bit because this was before the IFBs and I was refereeing the match between uh, Jacob Snake Roberts and Rick Rude. And the finish for the match was there were 15 minute time limit in the tournament. It was during the tournament. And uh, it was a 15 minute time limit draw was the finish. And I would look back, back in those days, Mark Eaton, who was a timekeeper, you'd look to him for the time cues and it was time to go home. He'd have the pencil in his mouth was the cue go home. For some reason, I brain cramped and whatever. And I stopped looking at Mark and these guys are going, these guys are going and they're looking at me, but they're not saying anything. And I'm not cluing in now thinking, oh yeah, it should be about time now. Eventually, I don't know what made me look at Mark. I look over at Mark and he's broken this pencil in his mouth shoot it, it up <laughs> and he's like like this and I went like, oh go home and I go yeah, go home so they went to their closing spot to ring the bell anyways yeah I heard it about that one definitely <laughs> Yeah. Well, there were mean- some moments, there were some moments on that
2: microphone that we can't repeat, but we had we had a lot of fun working out there. And I that's what I tried to relax us all, you know, and mm-hmm. just kind of ease the tension down. And sometimes the banner was just just, you know, it's it was insane. Mm-hmm. I fought, and I fought because they always wanted to wire the truck with with the ref. I said no, we're at reference security who I was mm-hmm. and Vince. But yeah. Vince couldn't hear what I was saying. i always wanted to wire it where Vince could hear it, and I would beg. I I got down on my knees and begged Kevin Don, please don't wire Vince or my mic. You know, <laughs> it's our only time we have to have fun. <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly. It's like it's like well, one day at TV at the end of TV, Steve goes in the ring, Austin, and he's stunning everybody and everyone that walked into the ring from Sergeant Slaughter to you know just everybody, and even as the refs, we we were like and. And, and mr b was cool with this so he was like okay if you guys want to feed in feed in and i'm like yeah i want to get in there and get <laughs> stunned by steve you know bang, there you go and <laughs> yeah, have fun man just release yeah. the
2: tension there and uh the, the, mm-hmm. the hours that we put in and the hard work jimmy it's been an absolute pleasure man i'm glad you took your time out and so suddenly to uh jump on this uh this show with john and i we just like to have fun and tell these stories like this inside story that people really mm. don't hear a lot and man you added to, to the quality of our show tremendously thank you
1: oh thank you that means a lot coming from you guys and 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 i enjoy the stories whether uh Kane stories that i've been listening to and uh, and of course michael p.s stories which are <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh allowing allowing me to rip on chimmel for a bit too which was all, always uh always fun to do but uh, i've been you know hey by the way um I forget who came up with the nickname for us. Uh, apparently Chimmel and I became Waldorf and Stadler. <laughs> they used to call us, but uh, anyways, we get, we, you, you know, we would critique things, you know?
0: <laughs> well, Jimmy, thanks. We, we had, a, we, man, we've had some, we had a good, we had a lot of fun. Uh, the mm-hmm. Mondays off and we play golf, miniature golf, real golf, mm-hmm. the different things we would get to do. Traveled all over the world together. We, we've had some great times and appreciate That's- you coming on the show. And I look forward to more great times in the
1: future. Absolutely. I appreciate it, guys. And maybe next time I could tell you about the real Plain Fried from hell, not the one that everybody talks about. Well, you know what? We can. What? What's that? We can, right, Don?
0: Absolutely.
1: Okay, everybody talks about that one trip we came back from 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 the UK and all the stuff, the shenanigans. Yeah, where, one trip.
2: There were dozens of those. Well, <laughs> this
1: this yeah. is the one here where where Mister Perfect tried to take down uh, Brock in the by the exit door on the plane and stuff like that. That was a lot of shenanigans going there. Michael Hayes getting his hair cut by X Pac and stuff like that. But we were traveling on this old. I don't know what vintage aircraft this was a charter to go to australia and we had to refuel in in alaska first but then we were stopping in the uh petrolovsk russia or something like this it was a coastal russian city to to refuel but there was a snowstorm going on at that time
0: i was on the plane
1: yes my goodness so we're coming in to to, to land and the plane is shaking violently like i've never felt anything like this to the point where big shows uh seats snapped and landed in brian hedner's lap <laughs> but the plane is shaking. Then all of a sudden it goes back up in the air and we're like, Oh my goodness. And then it circled around and went for another. It took three attempts to land this plane before we finally got on the ground. And I remember Sparky, Mike Sparks, this was such an old plane. It had three seats up in the, uh, in, in the cockpit. He was sitting in the third seat, even though it didn't need a third pilot at the time, I guess the plane had been upgraded by this point. And he says, you guys don't realize how close we came to crashing three times. Oh this aircraft. And I'm like, Oh good. We're going to stay here now. But then Russian military comes on the plane with these guns That's and right. stuff like this. And we're like, what the heck's going on? You guys can't stay. No, we can't wait for the snow to slip. No, they refueled us off. We went again.
0: Nobody got off the plane, but snowstorm, snows coming in the door. The guys with mm-hmm. the machine guns, yeah. they're right before he landed he goes, I've never been on a worse uh, plane ride. And he's, <laughs> oh, been no, in, in, and he's been. In, and you he's, have it?
1: <laughs> Yeah. He's been in a plane wreck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah i mean he actually did. and then on the way back there was some mechanical trouble with the plane and oh my goodness that was that was the real plane ride for now yeah.
0: well jimmy thank you very much we appreciate it look forward to more ref and rants
1: oh i appreciate that thank you